Welcome everyone, and thanks for joining us for the next installment of the Rocky Mountain Myrex Short Takes on Suicide Prevention podcast. I'm your host, Adam Hofberg, and today we are joined by the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless, and I'm here with Tammy Bellafato, James Ginsberg, and Kathy Alderman. And I'm going to let them introduce themselves, and then we're just going to kind of jump into some of the uh, great work they're doing to uh, prevent veteran homelessness and get veterans uh, into housing. So welcome. Thank you, Adam. Um, my name is Kathy Alderman. I'm the Vice President of Communication and Public Policy here at the Coalition for the Homeless. Thanks, Adam. I'm James Ginsberg, and I'm the Director of Fort Lyon and the VA Grant Per Diem Programs. And my name is Tammy Bellafato. I'm the Director of Vocational Services with the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless. Great. Well, again, thank you all for taking time today to join me on this uh, bright and sunny winter Denver day. Um, I guess uh, we'll start with a couple questions with Kathy. And I guess I just wanted to um, first give us a little bit of background on the organization, Colorado Coalition for the Homeless, and then um, kind of tell us a little bit about your organization's approach to this integrated, lasting solution of ending homelessness. Sure. So the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless has been around for over 33 years. Uh, we started out with a health foundation grant um, providing health care services to people experiencing homelessness and, and quickly realized that the health care alone wasn't really going to help people um, get back into a stable living situation. So we started building housing. And then we started integrating um, support services into that housing and making sure that we were connecting people with um, vocational services or any kind of substance use treatment services they might need and really trying to treat the whole person. And so we consider ourselves to be a, a housing, healthcare, and service provider um, for a large population of people experiencing homelessness all across Colorado. And that really is the integrated approach that, that we take, that we know housing is dependent on health care, health care is dependent on housing, and without those critical support services to keep someone stable and to keep someone engaged in their community, um, you know, they're less likely to succeed in the housing situation that we're able to place them in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see how you can't fix one thing without kind of addressing the whole person and all their, all their needs, and uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so tell us about uh, homelessness in Denver and also like sort of how you all formed your roots and where where you got your funding to get started. So the original funding came from um, a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. We're now funded from more sources than I can count on my fingers, um, okay. but we do receive a large amount of federal dollars, some state dollars, some private foundation dollars, and then obviously we're dependent on the community for donations and philanthropic interests. Um, we, you know, the number of homeless people, uh, especially in the Denver area, is increasing substantially. Um, what's most alarming is the number of unsheltered homeless individuals and families. And so we're really trying to work both with the state government and the city government to find some creative ways to help people who are forced to live outside. Uh, we know we don't have adequate and appropriate shelter systems that address specific needs for specific populations. And so we're really looking to try to see if we can think a little bit more creatively about how to bring people into safer spaces and get them back up on their feet. And we also know that um, you know, we're seeing a large population of younger veterans mm. experiencing homelessness, coming back from Iraq, coming back from Afghanistan. Um, and with every population, there's a different level of needs that we need to address, and we try to be really in tune to what, how those needs are changing. Um, I'd also say with 
substance use issues and the opioid crisis, especially um, mm. across Colorado, it's really impacting how we're able to serve people. Um, we don't have enough substance use treatment uh, options for folks, and so we're having to do a lot more of that in-house. And we don't have a lot of places for people to go to recover, which is why our Fort Lyon program is so critical. Great. And we're going to speak with James in just a moment to, to learn more about that program. Um, I guess um, I'm glad you mentioned that you serve a lot of populations. And I guess, you know, for today, we're going to focus in on really some of your veterans programs. You mentioned this, that, you know, you're seeing a lot of younger veterans and um we keep coming back to this uh, concept that maybe transitions are a very difficult uh, time for folks and maybe uh, leaving the military and uh, getting back into the civilian world uh, is a challenging time. Is there, is, do you think that's related to why you're seeing uh, these younger homeless vets? Absolutely. I think that um, in addition to some of the, the trauma, obviously, that's experienced um, while being in the military and people come back to their homes um, and, you know, they, they're living with this trauma and they need treatment for this trauma and they need community support for this trauma um, and that's not always available and so we really try to provide kind of that holistic approach to addressing trauma. Um, we consider ourselves to be a very trauma-informed organization um, mm -hmm. looking at people and asking you know what happened to them instead of what's wrong with them. It's very important. Um, that's a very us. crucial question yeah. I think one of the biggest um, systems gaps for people coming back um, you know, from, from being in the military is we have a pretty severe housing crisis in Colorado. It's almost impossible for somebody to come back who may have lived here 5, 10, 15 years ago for them to be able to afford a similar type of living arrangement that they might have been in before. And that's both for people trying to rent as well as people trying to buy. And so we you know, we really focus a lot of our advocacy efforts on state and local governments and trying to invest more in housing and making sure we have appropriate housing options for all of our targeted populations and particularly veterans. Mm -hmm. So we're really excited to be breaking ground on 60 units of veterans housing at the Fitzsimmons campus in Aurora. Um, that'll happen this year. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes, and it's on the campus with the veteran services available uh -huh. and we'll be providing that kind of full wraparound package of services to make sure that folks not only get to move into a new home and a safe space, but that they have that community of support that will help them succeed in that housing situation. Excellent. That's, that's great to hear. Uh, you mentioned a bit about your orientation and how it's a really holistic and integrated approach and how you know, many uh, folks are experiencing some substance use issues. Um, how does that process work? Is it one of these programs where you need to be sober before you can get into the program, or is it really about housing first? Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, most of our programs are housing first oriented, so we do not require sobriety um, before we will house and, and help you out. Um, however, at Fort Lyon, the residents themselves have actually said, we need this to be a sober environment. So we do ask people to you know, come to us after they, uh, you know, may have detoxed and um, stay with us as long as they need to recover, but be committed to sobriety long term. And then we have um, one area for Fort Lyon graduates um, where people can move back and the residents, again, have determined that in order for their recovery to be successful, they need the people around them to maintain sobriety. Um, other than that, all of our other programs are really um, dependent on the Housing First model. And you, know, you come to us, and we are going to help you get stable housing, and then we're going to help you address the issues that led to your homelessness or to your housing instability. Excellent, excellent. I think that's a great segue or transition to talk to James a little bit more about the Fort Lyons program. Um, 
could you introduce that to us and, and let our listeners know a little bit more about it? Sure. So Fort Lyon is a uh, what we call a supportive residential community. It's in southeast Colorado, and we just celebrated five years of operation. We serve approximately 220 people at any given time, and we um, prioritize veterans. So if anyone from across the state, any homeless service provider, social service agency makes a referral, um, and they're a veteran, they go to the top of the list. Even though we're f- pretty much on demand, meaning men can get in within four to six weeks, we have a little longer waiting list for females because we have fewer beds, um, but veterans can typically get in within a week or two, which is critical for addiction treatment. Typical um, long-term recovery communities are an average wait list of six to nine months and as you probably know when people are having to wait to access services for that long we often lose contact with them. I think as Kathy was talking about the the housing first versus the um, sobriety requirement we're really trying to create a continuum of care both within the agency and the broader state we see that people in their recovery, in their journey, in their homelessness, in their um, addiction and primary care uh, recovery, they're not stagnant. There's times when people need direct access to housing without requirement for uh, sobriety. There's times when people want sobriety. And there's times when people move back and forth through those um, sort of uh, head spaces, so to speak. And so I think the challenge for us is to be able to be light on our feet in terms of um, having people access resources where they're at at any given time. Uh, Fort Lyon is most critically a community, and I think we see veterans um, coming out of um, uh, you know war situations or, or coming out of um, the VA and and kind of being sometimes disillusioned about the lack of community that they experienced in the military, mm-hmm. and um, and so if we can recreate a supportive environment in all of our systems, we really find that that people thrive in that. Um, people can stay at Fort Lyon for up to three years. It's a it's a very autonomous program. We're really trying to create a safe space. Uh, where people can uh, design their own recovery model within uh, resources that we provide for them. I think of Richard, who's a 13-year Iraqi Gulf War Afghanistan veteran, recipient of a Bronze Star, struggled with alcoholism in his uh, uh, service career, but then when he uh, uh, left the military, he got into methamphetamines and became homeless and was referred to Fort Lyon and quickly um, really thrived in that community again with other veterans, with other non-veteran homeless persons, and ended up creating, went up and down the Arkansas Valley, gathering bicycles, created his own bicycle uh, shop and lending program within Fort Lyon. And after about a year and a half, went into the local community, opened his own business, and he currently runs the only bike shop in the Arkansas Valley. Wow. And, and it's really about being person-centered and strengths-based, really looking at people's strengths and, and focusing on the person 
versus sort of the system. A lot of time veterans are have been disillusioned by the by the overall system. And I think a lot of our role is helping veterans and other homeless um, access uh, access current resources that maybe the resources are there, but they're so hard to navigate. Um, but there's also many gaps in the system. And as, as Kathy said, it's really about affordable housing. Mm, thanks. You touched on um, a few things there that I want to like circle back with. Uh, first, the sense of community, which I think well, as you mentioned, is just kind of fundamental to this. Uh, could you give us some examples of maybe like how uh, the community is fostered or what kind of activities that folks do together um, in this program? So it's, it's very peer-driven, and certainly the research shows that in recovery, peer-to-peer -peer is the most effective model. And so we really try to um, avoid a top-down um, sort of expert to... Um, to client model and, and try to create a space where, um, for example, new residents are welcomed by senior residents and, and they become mentors. And that um, we have 21 uh, 12-step groups on campus that were entirely started by the residents. Um, we have a barbershop that was started by the residents. Wow. We have a lot of... Um, community activities in terms of art and other therapies, all started by residents. Um, and then the community, as Kathy had said, told us that we do not want any substance use, that this has to be safe, that we don't want to tolerate any kind of aggressive or um, substance use behavior. When we first opened, we were <clears throat> allowing people to have Relapse, of course, addiction is a chronic relapsing disease. Um, but again, the community said, you know, if we want to be in a housing first model or a or a harm reduction model, we can access that somewhere else. We want this to be an alcohol and drug free community. And so we're trying to respond to the direct uh, feedback of the residents themselves. And for folks who may not be familiar, what is like a harm reduction model? Uh, harm reduction is really a best practice, and it, it stems from meeting people that are struggling with addictions um, where they're at in terms of um, we do harm reduction in medical care. We ask people to um, diabetics to eat better. Maybe, maybe they don't completely get into a sugar-free um, exercise and, and uh, insulin lifestyle, but they do some things to reduce the harm. And it's the same, using a seat belt is a harm reduction intervention, for example. And the same in addiction treatment, that we would like you to do some, uh, a needle exchange is a harm reduction intervention. Mm -hmm. That we understand that um, recovery is a journey and it's a process and that if we require you to be abstinent before we serve you you may never get clean and sober but the journey of recovery is about continually uh, adjusting your lifestyle to um, use less and less ideally um, maybe integrate some healthy behaviors with your substance addiction behavior and ultimately a harm reduction at the end of the day is about coming into abstinence if addiction 
is having uh, overall negative impact on your life. Excellent. Thanks for explaining that. Um, the other thing I wanted to circle back on uh, was you mentioned some of the disillusionment. And, you know, when I think about veterans, you know, often a proud bunch and, and perhaps seeking care and seeking uh, this kind of service might be something they'd hesitate to do. And I was wondering if how you guys overcome that barrier and, you know, if you had a sort of a, a story around that and how, how somebody kind of came around. I mean, I think of, I started my um, career almost 30 years ago. I started at the coalition 17 years ago as a street outreach worker, and I used to encounter a lot of Vietnam-era veterans. And many of them did not want to access uh, the VA system or even our own system. They felt um, really disenfranchised, felt like uh, they had been denied access to resources that maybe they had a right to. And so, again, I think it's meeting people where they're at. It's really developing relationships with people. And in some ways, maybe even backdooring people into our system. <laughs> that, um, that There's street medicine. We have a health outreach program. Um, and so not requiring people to come into our system necessarily, but maybe bringing the system through individuals to people on the street. And so putting a face on, on resources and, and letting people know that, yeah, we're not perfect in our approach to what meeting your needs, but, but as one-on-one -on -one and, and, again, building uh, individual relationships, I think, is where that starts in terms of breaking down the barriers to accessing services. Yeah, I could see how probably the a peer driven model also might be you know i've been there i've done this i've i've come out on top and, and made my way through absolutely we have a large uh, peer specialist uh, program within the agency and and certainly that model is expanding across the country where where people with lived experience in in uh, as veterans as uh, people experiencing homeless addiction mental health issues are equal partners in our, and equal professionals in our integrated uh, care model. Excellent. I'm so glad you said that. I was just going to say, James, one thing I think that was interesting for folks listening to hear is about the community at Fort Lyon not just being on campus, but the relationships that we have with the broader community, with the community colleges, and how people are able to access those programs and those services off campus. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and I think, like you said, it's um, it's about a fully integrated um, care system where you're treating the whole person. Um, that we have collaborative partnerships with the local uh, mental health center, Southeast Healthcare, with the local primary care provider, Valleywide, and then the two local community colleges, uh, Otero Junior College and Lamar Community College. One of the things that people experiencing homelessness as with all of us, you know, the only difference between uh, persons who are homeless and us is they don't have homes. Mm. They still want community. They want to have, uh, they want to contribute to society. They want to work. And because of the history of trauma, because of the history of uh, homelessness and addiction and mental health issues, often can't work 40 hours a week competitive employment, but want to work. And Tammy can certainly talk a lot more about that. 
but our partnerships with all those agencies really comes together and, and helps normalize the experience, that they're not in this isolated community um, getting this uh, heavy dose of support and that artificially and then when they leave they have to go out back into this sort of um, you know difficult situation in the broader community but we try to integrate the broader community while they're there on campus and and again they're going to college we have uh, nine transports into the greater community a day and so people come and go as they please it's an open campus they create their own recovery uh, they're going to school they're getting their health care needs met they're getting their mental health care needs met um, and then working with one another on campus and finding employment and, and, and sort of struggling with getting back into the, the stream of life. We like to say people come there to stop dying and to start living. Hey everyone, just a quick break from the show to let you know three things you can do to help the show get even better. First, write us and let us know what you think. We want your ideas for guests and topics. Write us at RockyMountainMyrec at VA.gov. Second, click your subscribe button on whatever it is you're using to listen so you never miss an episode. And third, tell a friend that they can always talk to you if they need help. We're all in this together. That's, that's very powerful, and I love how you emphasize that the only difference between someone who's homeless and, and you or I is, is that we have a home, and really that person-first language, it, it brings a lot of respect, so... I, I definitely appreciate that. And it goes back to what Kathy was saying, where it's what happened to you, not what's wrong with you. So I can see how this program is really kind of putting those values into life. Absolutely. They're telling us what the program should bring instead of us bringing a program and telling them how to behave. Excellent. Well, let's turn to Tammy for a little bit. Um, thanks for uh, <laughs> sitting so quietly while we uh, talked through some of the other uh interesting aspects to this program. So Tammy, first let's just uh, hear a little bit more about your role in the organization. So I run the vocational services programs and one of our biggest programs is the Homeless Veterans Reintegration Program, which is funded by the Department of Labor to assist homeless veterans and um, get back to work. So what we do is we don't do the housing piece of of the Homeless Veterans Reintegration Program because it is funded through the Department of Labor. We leave that up to the veteran housing folks. But we do assist people with getting jobs. So the way that starts is any veteran that is homeless um, or in a transitional living situation, they can come in every Thursday morning at 8.30 at our location at 563 East Colfax Avenue and get signed up with orientation. and. We, get, we t kind of tell them about the program that day and we tell them about all the good things that we could do to help them get a job. And mm -hmm. then they get to meet individually with, their, with a vocational specialist and a case manager to lead them in their journey, actually to walk beside them in their journey to employment. So we have a person-centric um, approach to employment. So we do individual employment plans and that is all about the veteran. The veteran's able to tell us what they want to do. We also do an interest profile, kind of like you did in high school. It says where your interests lie and, like, you should be a fireman or whatever. Um, we do one of those assessments with them, and then we go through and we're like, what do you need now? 
do you need money today? Like, and then we'll work on maybe getting a temporary job just so that they have daily pay. What's your next step? Where do we get you a 12 to $18 an hour job? Um, help you get back to self-sustainability? And then how do we help you get to your dream job? And your dream job is your dream, not our dream. So if your dream job is being an astronaut, how do we get you there? Mm. What are the steps to, to be there? And if for some reason we can't help you with those steps or it's not achievable, maybe you have a criminal history and you can't become an astronaut, how do we get you someplace working like at Lockheed Martin and getting you close to where they build the spaceships and, and those types of things? Mm, that's, that's, that's quite powerful. Um, I know... You know, employment can bring a sort of sense of worth and, and value that you can then take forward with you. Um, do you have any stories to share that, you know, of veterans that have uh, made their way through the program and, and landed successfully in a, in a good job? Absolutely. So we have plenty of veterans over the last five years of running um, HVRP um, that have gone out in the community and are making $60,000 a year doing um, accounting work or IT work and several of them have come to work at the coalition and several have gone to work at the VA. Oh really? Yes. So we have a great relationship with the VA and they um, we have a streamline right into the HR department where we can send resumes and see if they're a good fit. We also use the compensated work therapy program at the VA for folks that are just getting back into employment so that they can work through maybe some of their um, physical um, problems and are able to get back into the workforce. So we try to partner with the VA on, on many things with the veterans. Um, but a big example is we had a homeless veteran come into our program and um, he had extensive maintenance experience in the past. And he became homeless because of a family issue. And the veteran received housing through the VA, through their grant per diem program, the transitional um, housing through the VA. And then we were able to get him a job at the coalition as a maintenance supervisor earning over $20 an hour. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, that's, that's really cool. One question I had actually was, you mentioned that you partner a lot with VA programs. Is this also available to veterans who may not qualify or be eligible for VA services? We can serve any veteran with a DD-214 that has anything besides a dishonorable discharge. Okay. That's helpful. How can folks learn more about this program if they, you know, if, if we have listeners tuning in that say, hey, this, this matches a client I know or um, I, I want to learn more about this service so I have it in my uh, back pocket if I ever need it. So they can go to our website at coloradocoalition.org and look us up under the vocational services um, portion of the website, or they could give us a call at 303-312-9835. Great, and we'll definitely include some links out in the notes. I just wanted to make sure that we touched on that because, you know, uh, I want to, you know, that we're not just talking here today. These are real services on the ground that folks can get to if, if they have someone in mind. So, Kathy, we've been talking a lot about uh, some of the great successes of the program, but I also do want to highlight that there are obviously ongoing challenges, and maybe um, you could talk us through, you know, sort of what are some of the challenges that you all encounter, and, you know, how do you see a path forward? 
we live in a world of a lot of disparity and, you know, especially economic disparity seem to sort of be increasing. And so, you know, with our goal to end homelessness, but we see a lot of things moving in the other direction and just wondering if you could speak to that. Sure. We've talked a lot about our programs and services, um, which are obviously critical to the coalition's mission to make sure that we can get people um, back on their feet and in stable housing and uh, managing their health care, their mental health care, getting connected with um, employment. But another aspect of our work is um, advocacy work. And as I mentioned, we work very closely with state and local government to make sure we're investing resources where resources are needed. And where those resources are needed the most right now is in housing and in um, providing substance use treatment. We just see huge gaps there for all populations. So we are you know, really kind of pushing the state um, to take a more active role in a housing strategy and in a homelessness strategy statewide. We're one of four states that doesn't have um, a housing trust fund or a funded housing trust fund. So the state is not really investing in housing at a time when it is so critical. We are also um, a state that doesn't have a homelessness strategy statewide. We have some localities that have oh, their really? own strategies, okay. but the, the state is not investing in, um, in homelessness. And so we think that those broader strategies could really address some of the disparities that we're seeing um, across populations. And then we do a lot of work with our state legislature to make sure that the, the playing field can be leveled for folks, to make sure that people coming out of the criminal justice system have the opportunity to get jobs. And we're doing that through ban the box legislation. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term, but it no. means that an employer can't screen somebody out just because they may have um, involvement with the criminal justice system in their past. They, they have to at least give them an interview, unless the job you know, critically requires that, um, that, that, that that take place. We are engaged in protections for renters to make sure that there's a level playing field bef between renters and landlords to make sure, um, you know, that we're not pushing people into homelessness. So if anything we can do to prevent homelessness up front means that we won't have to deal with all of the issues that come with people who, um, you know, find themselves in a homeless situation. We're involved in, you know, um, supporting things like increasing the minimum wage, making sure that pay is equal, making sure that families can have family paid leave. Um, all of those things are critically important to making sure that, you know, we, we are leveling the playing field for ordinary folks to have the same opportunities that um, everybody else has. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's no surprise that you have to come at it from a lot of angles. Like you mentioned, a holistic approach is really the only way that we could probably solve this issue. And so you also mentioned that well, in your name, it's a coalition. So, I mean, obviously you're one organization. There's many folks out here sort of working towards this common goal. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless is a, is a single organization that brings in the collaborative partnerships of lots of other organizations. So, as Tammy was saying, our partnership with the VA is critical to the coalition's um, success. Our partner with um, community um, leaders in the areas where we are, like community colleges are critical to uh, making sure that we can serve folks. We work very closely with a lot of other advocacy groups who are also socially justice focused, making sure that folks have the, the opportunities um, that everybody else has. Mm -hmm. So we work with organizations like the Colorado Center on Law and Policy, Colorado Fiscal Institute. Um, we, on our renters' rights work, we actually see a lot of um, family oriented or groups that need um, that are trying to help families get a step up and we do that through a coalition called all families deserve a chance oh very nice yeah. name 
As I mentioned, this is a suicide prevention podcast, and so one of the interesting things I always think about is how does housing and employment and community sort of contribute towards suicide prevention and promoting you know, lives worth living? Um, so, Kathy, could you start with that? Sure. So, we're again, we're so focused on this holistic approach um, to individuals and making sure that we're addressing their housing stability needs, their health care stability needs, their mental health, their substance use um, disorders if they have them, connecting them to services, and really making sure that they feel like they're part of a community um, and making those connections that will keep them out of despair. I will say one of the things that we supported this past election cycle was a ballot measure in Denver um, called Caring for Denver. And ultimately, it'll bring in $45 million a year for specific services to prevent suicide, to treat mental health, and to treat substance use disorders. And we were really excited about that effort because it really showed that the community um, was invested in making sure that people don't get lost in despair and people have opportunities to address the issues that might lead to a suicide situation. Um, that, that passed with overwhelming support at 70% of the voters in Denver supporting it. So we really know that there's a huge gap there, and we're happy to be part of the solution to that by, um, by making that investment as a city. Excellent. And I have a sort of a side tangent before we uh, turn back to you. Where do you see Denver in the bigger scheme in terms of are we pretty progressive towards preventing homelessness and ending homelessness or, 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 you know, more in the middle of the pack or what? I think Denver's made some some good strides, but I think there's a lot more to be done. I think that um, Denver has you know, seen the wisdom in, in investing in housing, um, though those dollars have been a little slow to flow. Uh-huh. Um, Denver has also um, partnered with us and some other organizations um, in the Social Impact Bond, which is addressing the housing needs of chronically homeless individuals and making sure that those support services are in place. That's pretty innovative. Mm-hmm. I don't know of any other community across the country that is making that kind of investment. Um, but where Denver's falling behind is how we started this conversation, and that's really those um, kind of alternative housing situations, appropriate shelter spaces, and criminalizing people for trying to survive on the streets mm-hmm. rather than investing in the services that will get them off the streets and into a stable housing situation. Yeah, thanks for that. Let's turn back over to James. So, you know, thinking about the Fort Lyon program, and, you know, how do you see that as sort of a suicide prevention program as well? Yeah, I certainly see suicide as a... As a uh, outcome of, of isolation and that um, it's it's really um, someone who's committed suicide has uh, died from their depression and that uh, mental health care is really lagging behind in, in this state and it's certainly a hidden disease and that I think many um, times the intervention the solution to that is community and of course um, reinstituting hope and that people see others that are recovering within the community that is one of the most powerful examples of if this person can do it maybe I can too I'm not that much different and that when people share their struggles one to another they realize they're not the only one they're not lost in their own um, world of of isolation and despair and so I think it is really engaging people on a daily basis into community. Veterans are really used to um, being mission driven and and uh, working for something greater than themselves 
And if you can engage people in a mission, in a, in a community that's looking at something greater than themselves, give them an opportunity to be of service. They want to continue to serve. And we have to continue to create opportunities where, where veterans and others can, be, can give back to the community. Mm, really, really well said. Um, Tammy, let's, let's take it away with, um, you know, how does employment uh, contribute to all this? So I believe that when veterans um, become self-sufficient and they're working, not only does it help with their mental health, um, it gives people a sense of worth, you know. Um, when it comes down to it, we think of ourselves as who we are. So I'm Tammy, the Director of Vocational Services. And at some points, the, the veterans are thinking, I'm just me, and I, I don't have any worth. So once they become Joe the electrician, or, and they're able to talk about their job, because that's what people talk about. And so um, I think that gives people a sense of worth and helps with their mental health. And also, when they're working with um, other people, they may recognize some of their mental health issues and may seek help for them. Mm. Excellent. So as we uh, wind down today, I just wanted to give you all, well, first of all, I wanted to thank you all for really taking time today to share about your programs and really um, help inspire folks that, you know, we can make a difference in homelessness and hopefully help people build healthy, strong lives. And I just wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of give any closing remarks or final thoughts before we let you go today. Uh, we're going to reverse the order. This time, let's start with Tammy. Thank you for having us, and I really appreciate you giving us an opportunity to talk about our programs and the, and the work that we do with veterans. Um, the one thing I did want to mention is the Homeless Veterans Reintegration Program is a national program, so if people are listening outside of the Denver area, they can get on, online and look up HVRP, or Homeless Veterans Reintegration Program, and see where their local HVRP program is. Great. I'm glad you mentioned that, and we'll, we'll include a link out to that as well for folks to, to tap into. You know, I just think about my own history of, like, you know, sort of rooted in Catholic social justice teaching, and, and one of the tenets is the inherent dignity of the human person. And often people ask me, what can I do? And, and I'll tell them, just, just look a person in the eye and, and validate their humanity. Um, you don't even have to necessarily give someone uh, flying a sign money, but, but acknowledge their existence. And, and that's the starting point for how um, you can be part of the solution. Excellent. Thanks, Adam, for having us. We really appreciate the opportunity to talk um, about the programs and about the solutions that we think are most important. And I would just say, you know, one of the things that um, that we know works for solving homelessness is housing. And so we have a lot of people who are really smart and can, you know, can build housing, can preserve housing, can rehabilitate housing, and can provide um, alternative housing situations for, for different needs. Um, and we should be listening to those people, and we should really be focusing on a statewide strategy to make sure that um, you know, we don't see additional numbers of people experiencing homelessness and that we're serving the people uh, in our community that are our neighbors and we're making sure that they have the access to opportunities that, that everybody else has. Um, and we can do that through advocacy and we can do that through programs and we can do that through being a stronger community. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you all for joining us. Um, this was an exciting interview with the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless and we hope you all enjoyed it. 
If you have any questions, comments, feedback, you want to get in touch or um, let us know your reactions, uh, we'd love to hear from you. And until next time, join us for more interviews on important work in veterans' health and suicide prevention. Thanks for joining us today on the Short Takes on Suicide Prevention podcast. The podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Rocky Mountain MIREC for veteran suicide prevention out of the Rocky Mountain Regional VA Medical Center in Colorado. Be sure to visit our website at www.myrec.va.gov slash vision19. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, head over to your favorite podcasting app to subscribe and give us a rating and spread the word. Tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in every other Tuesday for new episodes. Our mission is to end veteran and all suicide. And when you listen to our show, you see the possibilities.